All right. Coming up, uh, actually, I think he's on the line right now, uh, I believe. Right. It's Kelly Chase, longtime St. Louis Blues, uh, big part of their alumni association, and former Leafs legend. We've been teeing this this up for a while, and i got to start with it. Uh, first and foremost, thank you so much for joining us, Kelly. Yeah, thanks for having me. I see uh, the Leafs lunch has gotten a lot better. <laughs> As in uh, blue lunch, like back with noodles and the boys? Yeah, I mean, yeah, because you know, like, just, there were some there were some tough times with that crew. <laughs> well, I think they're doing all right. They're doing all right uh, nowadays, but uh, yeah, they uh, yeah they 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 moved on to bigger and better things. Like I would say, um, we've been teeing it up for a little bit here, Chaser Leafs legend. You played two games and somehow yeah. was able to compile. 27 penalty minutes through those two games. Can you break that down for me? Well, first of all, I got there and I failed my physical because my was wrecked. Uh, surgery that was done in Hartford, so I had that going for me. And then uh, I think they were going to rescind the trade and Cliff Fletcher was going to send me back. That was in the midst of uh, when uh, Hartford, which I referred to as Shawshank, uh, had, had decided that they were leaving. We no one really knew where they were going, and it was a disaster. The fans were booing. There was Gerald Dick's house toilet papered, and you know they were mad because, and it wasn't our fault. We didn't make, we didn't even know where we were going. So I said, you know, the Fletcher. I said, hey, mind if you could, I, I do all the work to get back and, and get in shape and get make my knee strong again. But um, and Chris Broadhurst was there, the trainer. He was awesome. And I said, I'll play in every day, and I'll play, at, and I'll play with it like this, even. But, you know, but at the end of the day, you know, don't send me back there. I have an opportunity with the Leafs, and I will play before the season. So I played the last couple of games. Wanted to make sure um, that I, uh, you know, kind of left a little bit of a mark as I was played my my two game <laughs> stint there. But uh, but the funny thing about it is, is that when I played in St. Louis, Berkeley the equipment manager um and i i had um um a jersey that's a little bit bigger than what well, was a goalie cut jersey because it was always a smaller guy when i got in a tussle i you know at least i had a little bit of room to maneuver these big guys and uh we were on the road when i played the two games and pappy who i love by the way our equipment guy he, he didn't have any goalie cut jerseys for me so i wore this jersey Got all tangled up in every time I fought. I think I fought three times in in the two games, or three or four times. And I and I said, uh, when we get back to Toronto for now, I'm you got to get me a jersey that fits me. This thing's ridiculous because it looks like it fits. Yeah, I go. Yeah, you didn't get punched in the nose three times in two fights. I said, I need something a bit bigger, buddy. I'm not quite as big as these guys, so um, <clears throat> I never got to use the third. That that when we got back, I never got to. I never played again at it. I think we had a game left, one game left at home, and uh, ever I came back to camp. I was looking forward to being a Toronto Maple Leaf, and uh, of course, my best friend was Wendell, and he was there and loved it. And I've been around Toronto quite a bit because of him. And uh, Mike Smith there began, and he uh, wanted me to go to the minors and and on conditioning until they figured out the roster. And I said, Well, no, I mean, I'm not doing that. You have to put me on weight. He goes, well, you'll get picked up, and I go, well, that's kind of the point of waivers, and uh, I had to get, I had to get, uh, I had to get a place to play because my contract was coming up, and I 
had this knee injury. And uh, they had a team picture the next day before the draft, and he told me not to go on the ice for the picture, so I assumed I was going somewhere. And then he went and looking for houses, and when he came back for the team picture, I had found out at that point that he had sent me back to St. Louis, so I appreciated what he had done. Uh, they took me for a conditional draft pick that I think became like a sixth, fourth or sixth round pick or whatever it ended up being. And then a, uh, a case of wine, Mr. Crown and him are whinies. And I often wondered whether it was actually like 100 acre or something good, you know, or, or was it like box wine? But uh, that, was my, that, that, that was my stint in Toronto. Uh, let, can we try and call him back here, Nick? Because we're, we're getting bits and pieces of the story. It was a great story. It was kind of clicking a little bit. Let's see if we can try and call you back and so we can get a, a clear line there. But that's a, that's, yeah. that was a, a, a long story, and that's a, a pretty great good story. story there. Could you imagine if, like, finding out, yeah, you've been traded for a, a box of wine, essentially. Well, it's Fourth-round pick and a box of wine. It's like, well, it's, what, what kind of wine is it? <laughs> yeah, the untold stories of, of the NHL uh, trade market, because it's funny, on his hockey reference page, Kelly Chase's hockey reference page, it says uh, September 30th, 1997, traded to, by the Maple Leafs to the St. Louis Blues for unknown compensation, <laughs> which turned out to be... <laughs> Unknown in terms of the brand of wine, uh, the vintage of the wine that was exchanged between the Leafs and blue, uh, the Blues in that particular transaction. So do we just break news for the NHL? I think we just technically broke some news. Uh, are, are you there, Chaser? Do we have you? You got me. Was that better? Oh, yeah, this is, this better. is better. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Uh, good stuff for, for getting back on there, Nick. But um, you're just talking about how, uh, you know, you, you and Wendell were, were kind of, you know, grew up really good friends, um, two Sasky boys on the same team. So, like, how great was it to finally play with him with the Maple Leafs? Well, like I said, I only played a couple games with him, and, yeah. and it was great. I mean, growing up with him was, you know, we had a great – grouping of guys. I don't know if you ever saw the video that they did on our baseball team. I think it's called uh, the, the toughest team they ever did, Michael Farber, there ever was. And it was Michael Farber um, uh, that did the did the uh, did a really good job of this, of, of going back home and talking about our fast pitch team that we played on. And, uh, and it was just good being around that group of guys, you know, Kosher and Wendell and Don Clark Barry Melrose. It was it was just a a real good group of guys that cared about one another, and we we, we enjoyed being around one another. And I think in the uh, Mike Blosky, who was a goalie with the <clears throat> Flyers organization once, I think on the video he said there was many people that were referred to our our baseball team as a work release program more than a ball team, but it was a, <laughs> it was a, it was a tough group of guys that really enjoyed being around one another and. And, uh, you know, between Wendell's brothers and the kosher cousins and Melrose's, there was a couple old goat farmers that pitched for us as well. And, uh, you know, there was a summer where we won every tournament we played in, and we just loved playing ball. And and you think about that now and go, there's no way that Edmonton would allow Connor McDavid to be playing fastball in the summertime, competitive fastball in the summertime. Yes with the way the contracts are, right? But Wendell played, and everyone was coming to watch us play. I think everyone probably wanted us to get beat, but 
we just had we just had a great time as a group growing up. Trent Yanni, Kevin Kaminsky. Um, it was it was a fun group of guys that all got together every summer. Jason, when you watch the sport now that you love, you grew up playing. Um, what do you make of it? Because we were just talking earlier in the show about you know, the lack of animosity in the game. We heard John Tartarella a few years ago saying how it frustrates him that there's not enough hate in the game and maybe not even just about, obviously there's not as much fighting, there's not anywhere near as much fighting, but the lack of the lack of real tension between players on opposing teams. What, what do you make of it and, and maybe what could the NHL do to address it, if anything? Well, you could address it because you guys have a platform every day and you let these guys that go on the air and bitch and complain constantly about how physical and all that was dirty and the league's got to clean up this league and you let the Ken Campbells and the and the guys like this talk and, and never... You, you, it's funny how you guys... Are, uh, one thing about media people, they rarely eat their own. You know, they don't have the stomach to go and stand up to another media person and say that was ridiculous. I mean, I, I remember last year, the one time it happened, and they were completely wrong, and they're friends of mine, but but Craig Button and, and Dregs took a shot at Tyson Nash when he was talking about Zegris, mm-hmm. and he said something about him skilling it up, and, and, and they took a swipe at him, and what Nasher actually meant was the kid was going by the bench, a kid, by the way, on a team that's a, a losing team, and constantly shooting his mouth off and like, acting like an ass. And then he gets his own teammate in trouble and then has the audacity to come and whine on the air after. Everybody want, should have went and said, just shut your mouth and play. Everybody should have. But people were on Dyson Ash for talking about skilling it up. Like, you, what do you mean? Well, like, because you acted like an ass. You were embarrassing guys, and that's not what hockey players did. So it was kind of a, a – it, it's actually funny because if you know Pat Verbeek, who was – my captain when I was in Hartford and one of the most respected guys I believe should be in the Hall of Fame. I understand that. I don't know this from Pat, so I don't want to put him on the spot. But he told the kid he was lucky he wasn't playing or he would have knocked his teeth out after the game. Now, if that actually happened, I praise Pat for that because that's the little things that you guys can do to talk about it. But every time there's an incident, it's blown out of proportion. Why isn't, you know, why isn't... uh, George Peros making more of this. How could George Peros possibly decide on what is good and bad for the league when he played the way he played? Well, guess why? Because he has a better understanding than most of the guys that didn't ever have to have those altercations. So that's why he's good at it. He takes a tremendous amount of heat from a lot of people, and I guess that goes with the job. But I will tell you, I think he does a great job. And as a matter of fact, I actually think that he's too soft. Like, I think at some point, when I say soft, I think he needs to have some of these guys and say to them, you know why it happened? Because you act like a jackass. And that's the way it used to be, and it kind of policed and took care of itself. And so if you're asking me how it could go back a little bit, you guys are actually a little bit of the curators of the game. So when you talk about it, you might want to point out some of these guys they write these scathing articles about how hard the game and how bad it is and all these guys are bullies and, you know, because at some point the pendulum has to swing back. I am not a disgruntled ex-athlete. As a matter of fact, I have a great respect for the game. I love the game. It's faster. They're more skilled. 
people ask me often, "Have could you think you could play the game nowadays?" I say, "Probably not." But ninety percent of the guys playing right now couldn't play when I played. Yeah, no, all fair points there. I mean, you say the media doesn't eat its own uh, chaser, but you haven't seen the O dog uh, take take the boot styles brother on overdrive <laughs> now and then when they when they're yeah, not doing so you're well. Right. Yeah, you're right. Anyway, you're right. No, all is fair there. That's but I, you know, I did. You know, I think you made some great points there. Um, but you know, it's interesting how it has changed. We were talking, Al's brother and I, about Ryan O'Reilly, and we want to get your thoughts on on what it's meant to St. Louis uh, to see O'Reilly go. But before we get there, you know, we wanted to mention that you know he's brought some electricity to the Toronto Maple Leafs, obviously with the the hat trick the other night in Buffalo. But the fact that he he's done this in his career, been known as a glue guy, a captain, a tough guy, but he's never had a fight. I mean, we, we, what do you make of Ryan O'Reilly, the way he's been able to, you know, not get pushed around, not not be anybody's patsy out there, but has never been in an NHL hockey fight? Well, you don't have to be tough to, to I mean, a fighter to be tough. I, I, I get asked that. First of all, let's start up with Ryan O'Reilly. I love Ryan O'Reilly. I hope Ryan O'Reilly signs with the St. Louis Blues. Um, he's, he's not only a friend, but he's a leader in this community here in St. Louis, and he's made a tremendous impact on the city because they were the first team to win the Cup. Um, you could, it's hard to believe it only was four years ago when this team looks the way it looks right now. But one thing about a, uh, Doug Armstrong, he does have a very unique way of of capitalizing on opportunities and making things change in a hurry. So uh, so I think that the, the stewardship of of the Blues are in good hands. As far as O'Reilly goes, when I was asked by a few people that are in the management with you guys what I thought of him, I, I quickly responded. He may have lost a step because of some injuries, but one thing I will tell you is you've got great character, great leadership, and you never have to worry about whether this guy's going to show up in a big game and play hard for you and you're going to get the most of him. He's a gamer. He's a playoff guy. He is is an ultimate leader by example, his work ethic, and the time that he spends on the ice working on his craft. He, he, he studies it. Ryan O'Reilly is going to help the Toronto Maple Leafs no matter what happens uh, down the stretch here. I will tell you, he will be a, he's a great asset. So, so that's a hell of a trade for them. Um, as far as the tough guys not, uh, you know, all being fighters, Look, when people ask me who I think the toughest guys that I ever fought or played with, I never tell that story and not say Brett Hall. I mean, the guy took a beating to score 86 goals in front of the net, never complained about injuries, and had guys working them over with aluminum sticks. Okay, so I never one time ever said, oh, you know, I didn't take for granted how tough Hall was. He was tough. And another guy I mentioned is Chris McAlpine, who who did have some fights. I'd say he had three or four fights in his career, and people are like, who? Chris McAlpine? Well, Chris McAlpine broke his foot one year in the playoffs, and he played and broke him in game one, and he played game two, three, and four against the L.A. Kings to the, with a broken foot. And they allowed him to do it because it couldn't get any worse than it was. He said, I don't – it's fine. And they put him in this skate, and he went out with a skate, and – they gave him a little Novocaine, I think, and then uh, probably got it between his big toe and his and his and his foot to start with. And we were all cringing, and he just sat there with a big chew in on the trainer's table and 
and and and you know held onto the table a little bit and and he taped his he taped his wrist up uh from January on and when the season ended well or when that series ended Quenville said make sure you get him in a cast so he can't come in here wanting to play for the next round so they put him in a cast and he he came to the rink the next day and the guy had a cast from the end of his fingertips to his armpit and then one on his foot he had a broken wrist. He'd been playing and taping by himself from January on, and and he and he didn't complain about it. And he just played. And to me, that's tough. And so, yeah, Ryan O'Reilly may not have had a fight, but let me tell you something: you're not getting shortchanged on toughness. You're not getting shortchanged on effort, and it's certainly not going to intimidate Ryan O'Reilly. Uh, we're chatting with Kelly Chase, a uh, longtime St. Louis Blues player, big part of their alumni association, and uh, played a couple of games for the Toronto Maple Leafs as well. But another player who came into that trade and was kind of overshadowed a little bit was Noel Achari. Uh, we've gotten to see what he can bring to the group over the last three games that he's been here. Brings a lot of energy, hits everything that moves. What else uh, should we be expecting in, in Noel Achari here with Toronto? Well, you, you're you're watching it already. As a matter of fact, I had uh, dinner with uh, I'm completely name dropping here, but with Talkin and 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 Craig Ruby last <laughs> night, we did a little film thing here, and uh, they were talking about it. and And she said, to, "You know what? Toronto Maple Police are a way better team today than they were last week." And he just made the point of saying, "You're getting effort out of those guys. You're getting consistency and leadership." And he goes, "And there's and there's never going to be a letdown from them." So. That's sort of what you're seeing exactly what you're going to get out of him. And if he chips in a goal here or there, uh, as he can, you know, that's what you that's what you need in the playoffs. You need guys that are going to, you know, get the end of their finger broken and still play and yet go out and finish checks and stand around the front of the net, be a menace, and then know how to win. And the, the, you got both of them. Yeah, no doubt about it, uh, Chaser. You know, you said something intriguing there about Ryan O'Reilly among the many things uh, and great thoughts you had there is you hope he signs back in St. Louis. Of course, a pending unrestricted free agent. There's been a lot of talk about the price paid for a rental player. What's your gut feeling about you know his, his future as an NHLer? Because I think a lot of people in Toronto obviously are hoping that Kyle Dubas uh, or whoever is managing this team in the offseason will be able to re-sign a Ryan O'Reilly. Well, look, I mean, I don't know anything about the intricacies of what the hell ever anybody's thinking about Ryan O'Reilly, but I know from my perspective and from a leadership standpoint of what he's accomplished in St. Louis and how the city views him and that's how the and there's a lot more to it than just, you know, you have to move on from all players no matter how the city city views him. I mean, we know Wendell is is, is still the city's son and and you know, but it was time when he retired too, and there all comes a time for all of us. At the end of the day, Ryan O'Reilly, I think, still has a lot to give. It's a matter of what the price is for him for everybody, not just uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs, but also the St. Louis Blues. And then also, you know, like how's the fit? What, what's the direction? It doesn't matter what you have uh, as a team. Ryan O'Reilly is going to be an asset to you. If you have a team that needs to learn how to win, well, you have a Conn Smythe and Stanley Cup winner. And so it might be that young team. If you have a team that, that, that needs to grow, you know, he's going to be able to teach kids not only work ethic, 
but he's going to teach them everything from, and there's a lot that goes into it, man. And, and, you know, like when St. Louis won the cup, Brian just had to play. Alex Petrangelo was the captain and he helped, you know, manage the, the, the stuff with the coaches and Alex Steen was the captain off the ice. He managed the entire locker room and, the, and how the, and how the, you know, guys were, if somebody's wife was sick and then no one really knew about it, he, Hey, what do you need help when if, you, if somebody was having a tough time with something in their personal life? And, you know, Hey, the, he knew about it and handled it. So the leadership came from a lot of those different guys when they won, but Ryan O'Reilly was a big part of that. And so it doesn't go unnoticed in St. Louis. I have to believe that, I mean, obviously the fans would love to see him come back, but I have to believe it's going to be a consideration based on the price with Ryan because there's absolutely nothing that was in his game here that would tell you that it was, you know, hey, we that's not a guy we would want around. Uh, last one for you, Chaser. What goes through your mind when you see the reports of, you know, St. Louis potentially interested in bringing in Timo Meyer at a time where it seems like the team's selling? Well, you got a young, restricted free agent player. I mean, that's that's what you're trying to do. I mean, look, you're trying to get guys that you get, you know, six, seven years out of. You know, and that's that's what you're trying to do. Look at. If you're going to put Robbie Thomas and, and Cairo in a, in a leadership role when both of them still have to have a lot to learn when it comes to that side of it, and, that, and that's not a knock against them. That, that you're talking about two, two good kids here that we need to have in the organization. But you have to have a foundation of players around them or else, you know, even though, you know, Robbie's won and, and, and Cairo's been a part of being around here, you know, being the guy, you know, you're not a support staff anymore. You're the guy. So not only are you playing against the one to six in the lineup, but you're also having to do all of those things we talked about, manage locker room, manage the, you know, the off ice stuff, um, show that heart that you're the hardest worker on the, on the team every day. Uh, and then you got to surround those, those guys with character. So, so for army to go out and get him, I would be, it wouldn't surprise me. Doug's very innovative. He's, you've always seen that, you know. He was he. Look, remember he traded um, Johnson, and when Eric was a first pick overall in the draft, and got Shattenkirk and Stewart, and it was it enabled us to get on a on a winning era of of hockey where we desperately needed it and didn't have time for Eric to grow into the long term defenseman that he is now. And I think it it helped Eric, and I think it helped. The Blues tremendously, but Army's not afraid to pull the trigger on a deal. So, don't be surprised if you end up seeing him with a young, really good defenseman that's going to be available, as well as a player like that, because he doesn't intend on, uh, you know, he, he, he's not in here. He, Doug Armstrong's uh, philosophy is not like, hey, I want to go and rebuild again for the next few years and hope I get another contract. He's trying to see how many trophies he can put on the cabinet, and that's. That's what he's about, and that's why in St. Louis he's appreciated the way he is. Well, the Blues certainly a team to watch over the next uh, eight days leading up to the Angelo trade deadline. Uh, Chaser, really appreciate taking the time to join us. It was a fun chat. Hopefully we can chat again soon. Anytime, guys. Be well.